0: Ever wonder why people don't get the care they need? Why their care isn't the best it can be? Ever wonder if home care could be as safe and effective as hospital care? So patients get hospital quality care during home treatment. Ever wonder if you could drive out waste so organizations could save billions? Health needs the power of wonder and bold ideas in pharmacy, care, and benefit solutions. Ever wonder who can do that? Wonder no more.
1: Evernorth brings wonder to health services. Learn more at evernorth.com.
0: Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. If you listen to this pod at all, you know that I love me some basketball. I coach it on the youth level. I'll watch it in high school. I'll watch college. I'll watch the pros. I'll watch women. I'll watch men. I'll watch West 4th Street. I'll watch women and men playing together on West 4th Street. Just show me a ball and a hoop and I'm in. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that my first love and therefore my primary hoops love, with the exception of the teams I coach of course, is the National Basketball Association. I love the NBA. I love the athleticism, I love the drama, and I love the characters. And I love talking to people like our guests this week who are in the media and love the game as much as I do. But this year for me has been unlike any other in my basketball loving life. I've never been witness to a season 2022-2023 So nasty So sad And so joyless I mean, the examples of this joylessness And the reasons for it abound I mean, there was LeBron James Breaking the most hallowed record in his sport Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record And the pursuit feels very joyless Not the game where he broke the record But the pursuit very joyless. There's Kyrie Irving, who at the start of the year, you know, posting, and I love watching Kyrie, but he posted that anti-Semitic video. That was depressing, but the pile-on afterwards was also depressing. That management was insisting that he give half a million dollars to the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, which tries to act like it's the NAACP for us Jewish people, but it's actually a fundamentally anti-black, anti-Palestinian organization. And then basically saying to him, he has to give a mint to that group. Uh, And that whole episode was just really sad. Or we could talk about Luka Doncic, who is the future of the league, making a big dollar sign in front of a referee as if he was bought off Or Ja posing with a gun, risking one of the brightest futures in the league, Ja Morant. We talked about that on last week's show. Or it's not just the players. It's media and fans during this MVP race between Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and of course the person who I like, Joel Embiid. That's who I'm leaning towards now. I seem to switch on a week-to-week basis. But turning those games themselves... Uh, that they're involved in into also something joyless as media and the fans attack each other for having disagreements on this. Or all the player content production, which just seems to be like a collection of crap talking. And I'm not interested in just about any of it. I mean, do I want to hear Mario Chalmers start a really stupid debate that nobody is scared of LeBron James? No, I really don't. And then you've got the pile of teams in the West with a similar record, looking more like a collection of underachievers and mediocrities than some sort of parody of greatness. And of course, as a Wizards fan, enough said. Now, this is not to say there's no joy this year. I mean, I have NBA ticket. I watch a lot of the games. The Sacramento Kings have been a blast. The underdog Indiana Pacers have been a lot of fun. Seeing some of the New York Knicks, I mean, Tom Thibodeau is about as joyless a coach as you can get, but to see Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart from Villanova and Josh Hart from D.C. achieve the way they have has almost put the acrid sting of being a Wizards fan out of my mouth. Uh, and so there is joy, but I really want to talk about why things are so joyless and that you have to fight to find the joy in a sport that should be a cornucopia of joy. And I can't think of anyone with whom I'd rather discuss this with than the man from the Washington Post himself, Michael Lee. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Do you agree with the thesis that this has been a particularly morose season of basketball?
1: Yeah, because I think there are moments that we should have glorified and really uh, just been able to praise, but it seemed like everything was interrupted or ruined by something else. Like the Warriors, we never got a chance to celebrate the Warriors championship. You know, ring night was sullied because Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole, you know, um, in practice. And so the whole time you're like, should Draymond be suspended for the ring ceremony? And then the Warriors didn't suspend him. And then it's like, well, how, how are they treating Jordan Poole? How come he gets to, yeah. you know, get a ring with a guy who punched him in the face? And like, there's no punishment for him. So the season started off with a stinker right then and there. We couldn't praise the defending champions because Draymond punched his teammate in one of the most disgusting displays we've ever seen. I mean, one of the video got leaked. And, the, <laughs> and then you just saw how the Warriors just totally mishandled it. So... At the beginning of the year, you're looking at the Warriors with a side eye, like, "Man, what's going on with them?" And they've been out of rhythm all year. They haven't looked like themselves at any point. You know, a lot of that's because of injuries, and then you got this Andrew Wiggins situation that's come up that's kept him out of the out of the season. So there hasn't been a lot of fun there. Steph's been hurt again, and so you you go there. And then I, I saw you mention the LeBron James scoring record, which you know was a great moment, and and it was in uh, LeBron the way he Um, really charged headfirst into it, you know, getting 38-point games and all these high-scoring games that guys his his age shouldn't be getting. Um, It was pretty miraculous to witness, but it felt kind of sour because of his kind of sour relationship with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who you should think these guys would be aligned in so many ways. You know, they're two of the greatest basketball players to ever play. Um, They both revolutionized the games in their own unique way. Uh, They both have, you know, stepped up uh, on social issues in the past. Um, and so you just feel like it should have been some harmony with them and there should have been some warm embrace, you know, uh, when the record, you know, was was um, broken. And Kareem, you know, hands on the basketball, LeBron shakes his hand and then just, you know, gives his speech. But there wasn't the kind of reverence that should have been for Kareem, who really, you know, had, had done so much for the game. Had elevated to such a point that he held this record for you know four decades. I mean, and I don't think fans even really got a chance to appreciate Kareem because in this whole era, we don't really uplift our legends. We don't really uplift our, our guy, our greats. We try to bring them down and talk about what made them flawed and what made them bad so we can uplift whoever we want to prop up. And it felt like a lot of a lot of this was we never really got a chance to truly appreciate what Kareem, who Kareem was, his contributions to the game. And so that was a moment that was missed. Mm. And then you, you look at it from this perspective, um, you could argue that the four best players in in the NBA are not American players. And that should be a great thing. But then you add this sort of xenophobic element to it where players want to knock guys like Jokic um and and act like what he's contributing to the game is not good, or that he's some over, overhyped or overvalued player. Um you know, for whatever reasons. And, and, and then, so the best young American player is John Morant, who is leading one of the best teams in basketball. And we should be celebrating him now because he's got his Nike shoe deal. He just got this power deal, but then all these stories leak out about him beating up a 17 year old kid at his house and uh, you know, going to a mall and confronting, you know, mall security with his mom. And then, then he does this video where he's flashing a gun in a club, and it's like, ja, what,
0: <laughs>
1: what are you doing? This you... is your moment. This is your moment to take over the league. We are ready <laughs> to anoint you. Why are you <laughs> ruining all this? So there, there's just, there are just a lot of these mm-hmm. moments, and we could probably go on, on and on about things that I think we should be celebrating, but that we aren't really enjoying. Like, I love Joel Embiid. I, I think he's been... A phenomenal player from the moment he stepped foot on the floor. And I mean that from his first preseason game because it was against the Washington Wizards. And it was a three-year wait to finally get or two-year wait to finally get him on the floor. Right. And nobody had seen him play. He had broken his foot and he had all his other injuries. But he made his debut against the Wizards, against Martian Gortat. And I'll never forget it. He missed a he missed a shot. He went up to get an offensive rebound. And move marching Gortat like it was a piece of lint on his shoulder. And and went right back up with all amount of force. And I said, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to be a monster. The very first time he touched, I was like, this guy is amazing. And he's been good from the beginning. And now he's just on this crazy, uh, you know, scoring um, rampage. You know, he's carrying the Sixers in a way that um, he's done his whole career. It's not like this is some sort of fluke year. He's been doing it for the minute he stepped on the court. So you got him, you got Jokic, who's uh, averaging a triple-double or pretty much averaging a triple-double. Um, if not, he's right close, like 9.9 assists or something, maybe right at 10 now. And then you got Giannis, who we, most people agree is the best player in basketball, who's having one of his best seasons
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: ever. And so you got these three great guys, but none of us is sitting here talking about how great they are. You got mm-hmm. Kendrick Perkins talking about – racism or, or that, uh, white, um, NBA writers are racist. And that's why they're voting for Jokic. And I'm like, yo, man, come on, give Jokic his props. If you believe somebody else is better, just make the point. You can make the point about how good Joel Embiid is just by pointing at what he's doing on the court. You don't have to, you know, bring down, you know, Embiid or you don't have to bring down Embiid to prop up Jokic. You don't have to bring down Giannis to prop up Embiid. You know, you can celebrate all of these guys because they're all great and they all are contributing so much to the game. And I just feel like we're just sort of in a state where uh, maybe in a country too, where it just, you just kind of, everything is just, just sour. Like yeah. there's not, there's not a lot lot to love and everybody wants to hate. And it seemed like the haters are winning right now.
0: Yeah. You know, we love big unification theories on this podcast. And I know you just, you know, really expertly uh, sliced and diced about, half a dozen different issues (laughs) you see a big unification theory though for the joylessness like is there anything that you see as a trigger towards the sourness i mean you mentioned xenophobia of course that takes one aspect of this but and also just as part of talking about this we we can't short the internet and social media contribution bitterness and ugliness and one of my theories about the Kendrick Perkins comments is that one of the reasons it picked a scab so hard was less about the content of what he was putting forward and more that that discussion was bubbling in a very ugly way on the internet. Yeah. So all he did was rip off a big scab of a discussion that unfortunately, for all the reasons you said, was already happening.
1: Yeah, the yeah, other thing that, that bothered me too, I'll I get back to what you were saying about what Kendrick said, is that he said that Jokic was stat padding. And it just, it really created this really negative perception about Jokic. And if anybody has talked to Jokic from the minute he entered the league, the last thing he's trying to do is stat pads. He does not care. Like, and he expresses it every time. And you can tell by the way he approaches all-star games and all these other things. He's not about that life. He's not trying to get numbers just so that he'll look good. He's trying to get the numbers so his team can look good. And he happens to be the best facilitator on that team. They don't have a traditional point guard. So the offense runs through him. So he's going to get numbers. He's not. He doesn't have guys boxing out for him, for him to get rebounds. He actually goes and grabs them. You know, everything mm-hmm. that he does is within the context of the team. There are games where he has five shots and does not complain. Mm-hmm. He, he he celebrates the fact that Michael Porter Jr. had a big game or that mm-hmm. Jamal Murray had a big game. He doesn't care. But he knows that if he needs to get 40 that night, he's going to get 40 if he has to. But it's not because he said, I'm going to go out here and dominate the night. It's just, it's just kind of all within the flow. So that really bugged me about that. But then to go back to what you're saying about social media, I used to tweet all the time on social media about basketball. I used to always just crack jokes or just have fun or do, but it got to be really tough because nobody wants to have fun anymore on social media. Nobody wants to laugh anymore. Everybody wants to argue. Everybody wants to debate. Everybody wants to make everything a challenge and and something to fight about. And it really isn't that deep. you know, you I'll post the most innocuous comment about something, and then I'll get like a bunch of people jumping in calling me a hater. and I'm like, I'm not hating. I'm just making a comment. And then it's just like all this nastiness kind of thrown at each other. And so I've kind of stepped back a little bit on expressing my opinions because I don't I don't really care to engage in that kind of negative energy. but also, I, I feel sad that a lot of people just can't loosen up, can't have fun, can't enjoy what they're seeing and just always try to figure out ways to bring it down. And I don't understand. I don't know where we got to that point
0: mm-hmm. because,
1: you like you said earlier, I believe, like, the talent in the NBA is really high right now, right. you know, and, and uh, you know, even with uh, injuries to, you know, star players and everything, you still have a number and abundance of really good players in the game. And so I don't – I can't remember an era where there's been this much star power because even while the international players are the best players, and I there's a shortage of American talent. You still have Jason Tatum. You have Jalen Brown with the Celtics, and they're one of the top teams in the league. Um, like I said, you mentioned John Morant. Before he got hurt, Zion was playing great basketball. Um, you know, so, you know, Donovan Mitchell was doing a great job in Cleveland. Like, you've got a lot of really great players out there, American and, um, you know, foreign-born players. And so this would be a time that we should just be celebrating all this talent. But I think it goes back to just what happened just over the last couple of years where everything became a debate and in order to win your debate. It wasn't as much about trying to prop up your guy. It was a bunch, how much can I hate on the other guy to make him look bad? And so that's sort of become the way we talk about basketball in every, in every way. You know, if you want to talk about MVP, you want to talk about rookie of the year. If you want to talk about coach of the year, anything else, You don't want to you don't want to make your case by saying this is why this guy should win. You want to talk about why that guy should lose. And -hmm. in the process, you bring him down and that alters your opinions of people because Mm -hmm. eventually you don't look at them in the same light. You don't think like, you know, there was I'll be honest with you. I'll just say this. (laughs) There was never any doubt about MJ. For like 30 years, Mm -hmm. like it just never came up. And now people like want to tell me that MJ is overrated, <laughs> 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 like, like, like I don't want to say respected, but like actual guys with their voice out here, big shows, are trying to, yeah, with big shows, are saying that MJ is is a myth, and I'm like, well, are you crazy? Like we saw yeah. with our own eyes, and and it's also in the same way when you look at, like, um, look at look at Kevin Durant, and you look at him he was with Oklahoma city for nine years and people were like, he can't win. 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 win." Oh, look, he's, he's losing. He's losing. He's losing. He's like, okay, I got to go somewhere and win. And then he wins. What else don't count? It's like, what is he supposed to do? (laughs) Like you say he can't win. He goes and wins. And then we start rating his, his wins on a scale. You know, you got pundits calling him a bus driver. And it's just like, why can't we just accept the greatness? Like, really just appreciate these guys for who they are and what they're giving to the game. And I think the fact that that's happened, it's it's really affected the game in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and then our, our conversation, you know, where it's all about rings and it's all about, you know, championships. And if you don't win a ring, then you're a failure and this, this, and that. And I just think that that has made everything awful too. You know, um, I heard uh, Spencer Dinwiddie made an interesting comment about Damian Lillard the other day and saying that, you know, when, in 10, 20 years, they're only going to be talking about three or four players anyway. Like, we're not going to be talking about everybody who's dominating this area, everybody who's good in this era. So, if you're not one of those two, three top guys, you're not going to be somebody we debate about, you know, decades from now. So, what is your objective and what is your ultimate goal? Because if, even if you wind up getting a ring, Nobody's going to sit around and say that you're the GOAT all of a sudden because you got one ring, right? That you're so,
0: in Charles Barkley.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like nobody's really going to get caught up in all that stuff. Um, so so what is it that you that you should go out there and aspire to achieve? And I thought it was a really interesting um, perspective. And I think that everybody has different perspectives and what's important to them. And I don't think everybody needs to make the ring the only thing because we've seen in recent years that even if you get the ring, somebody would do everything in their power to diminish your accomplishment and to make it less than what it was. So I just say as with basketball, Twitter, everything else, we should try to have a little more fun. We should yeah. try to enjoy this stuff a lot more than we do instead of just try to find reasons to bring it down. I just feel like that's what's sapped a lot of the joy out of what should be an amazing season. Like we've had how many 50 point games, how many, Amazing. you know, 70 point games? We had what, two 70 point games this year and no one can really enjoy them. Cause it's like, well, look at the defense is so bad now. <laughs> like, what about the skill of these guys? What about, you know, the, the fact that, you know, um, you know, you have so much talent that, that we have, we can have multiple 70 point games in a season. Um, so the scoring is up. Um, you know, everything that should be entertaining is, is right there for you.
0: Um, but it just it doesn't seem like people want to enjoy anything anymore. So many thoughts on what you said um the the first is that what I just pulled from my own mind based on what you're saying is that you used a great word sour and
1: yeah
0: it so some of this really does have to feel like I think we'd be remiss to not say that there's a sourness in the country there's it is a sourness in our politics yeah so why would we think that that wouldn't? Uh, trickle down to the National Basketball Association, this product that so engages with fans more than yeah. any other sports. So I, I think that th- th- there's something going on there that affects all the debates. And briefly, yeah. on the ring one, I'm going to sound very old, but we never grew up thinking that people like Alex English were suckers because they didn't have a ring.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, he He's like, man, something.
0: he was smooth, man. Oh, like, so I want he- Sidney Moncrief, what a sucker! You know, it's like <laughs> we we had, we, we worship these guys. My, my my home growing up, one of my basketball posters was Buck Williams. Exactly. I love the way my, he played.
1: My brother loved Dr. J and Alex English, and I I loved Alex English too. I mean, because just I mean, my brother was a big fan of him, but also because his game was so smooth and so he smooth. he was a bucket every time he got the ball. Yeah, I, I don't ever remember saying, man. Alex English needs to find a way to the Knicks, you know, so he could play a Patrick Ewing and maybe get a ring or something. Like I never thought that way. I never, I never even imagined, you know, that we would, that we would talk about basketball that way. Like think about this. And I, I this was a conversation I had with somebody about like Kevin Durant's titles with uh, Steph Curry and how everybody's like, well, they're Steph's titles because, you know, you know, he, he built it and all this stuff. And I'm like, why can't, why can't it be both their titles? Yeah. Like, like who sits back and says, well, Dr. J got that ring in 83, but Moses was the MVP. So it wasn't really Doc's ring. It was Moses' ring. No, it was the Philadelphia 76ers' ring. They won that championship together. They were great, one of the greatest teams of all time together. And nobody tries to diminish Moses or Dr. J. We elevate both elevated both of them because they won a title together. Nobody sat around and said, who was the bus driver? Because mm-hmm. they both were MVP Hall of Fame players. And we just love their greatness. We love the fact that they were together. To even try to win that championship that year. And you just felt great for Doc that he finally got that moment after after losing, you know, in, in multiple attempts. We didn't sit back and 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 try to say, try to diminish Doc's ring okay. because he played with Moses. And I I just feel like that's where we are now where we we can't just accept and just, you know, yeah. admire all of this stuff, man. Because there's there's so much stuff to admire. There's so much stuff that we should be reveling in. But we just want to just, you know, get in the mud and just roll, roll around in that.
0: And there's a lot of cult of Jordan involved in stuff that stuff either. Like this idea of Jordan's rings, the Jordanaires. Remember, that's what they used to call his teammates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the whole Batman and Robin concept of him and Scotty. And to me, that's so, that's so much the antithesis of why I love this game. You know, a yeah. team sport. You know, where's Michael? People say, where's Michael without Scotty?" What about, where's the team without Horace Grant and Dennis Rodman? Where's the team without centers like Wennington, Cartwright, who had no statistical weight, but played a role in keeping that middle clear against some really amazing Really good bigs. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a team game. It's It's a a team team game. game. Yeah. People talk about it in a way that's, that's sour and individualistic. And, um, And like I said, I think the weight of it is particularly harsh this year. And we could talk about some of that is about the expansion of players as content creators, and they want buzz, so they're trying to get attention. And then people like, and I'll say the name of one of them, Colin Cowherd, deciding, gee, I'm going to wake up this morning and say Michael (laughs) Jordan wasn't very good because that'll get me clicks. I mean, this is not serious journalism. Not at all. but people are
1: listening and and that's a sad thing and everybody also knows that if you want attention and you want clicks say the most outlandish thing you can and people will either they'll dunk on you and spread your tweet so that you get all the all the views or they'll just but it'd be best if we ignore the foolishness I think a lot of times uh or 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 blind tweet it like don't don't go out there and give them give me attention they're craving like just ignore it and keep it moving but Everybody wants to dunk on people, you know, for their foolish takes. But it all it does is just spread the take uh, even even more, and that's that you're basically feeding into that monster.
0: And this is totally me projecting, but our two big MVP candidates really are Embiid and Jokic. Does it yeah. feel like sometimes, as incredibly skilled as they are, that there's sort of a cap on the joy of watching them because they both look like to me that they're almost like carrying the burden of this terrible debate about the MVP. Like they look tired and vaguely pissed off when they're putting up 35, 10, and eight. I mean, I could be projecting, but there's a that even among the best players, it just looks like that there's a kind of a weariness. Luca, of course, and his you know, is trapped in this kind of oh, uh man. you know, like like cube of, of
1: And you, you mentioned you mentioned Kyrie, right? And yeah, I, Kyrie and I, early and, on, and, yeah. But no, but I, I see what's happening in in, in Dallas now. Like Luca looks miserable, and I, he's, he may have some kind of personal issues. But he's but not winning. I'm sure is not helping. And you think about you know the Nets and where they were, you know, in early January, looking pretty good, looking like they were team. <laughs> yeah, they 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 went on a really hot run. You know, Katie and Kyrie are playing great basketball. Then, you know, Katie obviously gets hurt, but they're still, like, right there and competing. And then when he pulls his trade, the man just blows up what was a fun team. The Nets were a fun team at that moment. Jacques Vaughn is finally getting his props as a coach. You know, you're, you're starting to appreciate what he could do. You know, Steve Nash obviously wasn't the right fit for them to lead them.
0: Mm-hmm. And then he
1: demands his trade, and it breaks up three – it messes up three teams. Because mm-hmm. now you got to send Kyrie out of town. And now he goes to Dallas, and that team falls apart. The Nets are still kind of a playoff team, but it's not the same. Like, there's yeah. no real buzz around them actually getting out of the first round. So, that team is already, or well, that season is going to end probably somewhere in the first round, If, if unless they go to the play in, but I think they're going to be a playoff team. And then you got the Phoenix Suns who trade for Kevin Durant, and then he gets hurt again. And so, you got all of these, you got these three teams that are all tied. You know, by this one thing that it could have just been okay if, if Kyrie had just played it out there. And, and maybe they actually go on a run in the East because the East is wide open. The whole league is wide open. But he blew it up and that, that added to more of the misery because now Dallas is miserable. You know, now we're hoping it's that miserable. Katie comes back. We're hoping that Katie comes back from his second injury, major injury this year, and that he can play at that level and mesh with this team quickly enough. Like, how quickly can the Suns get it all together? Then you got LeBron. He's been out with his injury. I mean, obviously the Lakers have been playing good basketball without him. But, you know, what's he going to do if he's able to come back? There, there's, there's so many questions about this season. And, and the and, team that
0: actually looks hot in the East, Memphis, I'm sorry. You but, mean West? Oh, I'm sorry. They, well, I'm sorry. Three, three, two, one. The team that actually looks hot <laughs> in the West, Memphis, I mean, there, there are a lot of ethical issues with how they handled the Joss situation. Oh, uh, there's ethical issues and how the fans, I would argue, are handling the Joss situation. Uh, and I say ethical issues, not because I'm one of those people who's like, oh, that team will have a stain on it if they win a title. I'm talking about what's in the best interest of this 23 year old who clearly yeah. is beyond his skis relative to the potential that he has and where he is in terms of his own personal development. Yeah, I, I, I honestly feel right like- by him.
1: Yeah, it felt, it felt, it felt too quick. I mean, if you have to go and get therapy and rehab and I I don't know what the process should be, I don't know what it has to be for him. I don't know what this issue is, but it felt too quick. It felt like this isn't enough to address whatever it is that led you to this point. And if it, and if it, and if it was just for uh, PR, if it was just to say, okay, I did this just to get that off my back. It really felt, it feels even more icky if that was the case too, because like, what have you resolved? And what are you resolving? And how is playing basketball going to help you resolve whatever issue that you have right now? So, like, I I want I root for Ja. I want to see him succeed. I want to see him thrive. I don't want to see him get in any trouble. I don't want to see him, you know, uh, go by the way. I love his game. Like, I love watching him play. so explosive and exciting. He's one of the more exciting players we've seen in the league in a long time. So, I, I want to see him prosper. Yeah. But I want to see him prosper in every way. Like, not just on the court. Like if you if you have some issues that you have to address and you have to deal with, I want you to get that taken care of before you try to entertain me, because clearly you're entertaining me is a, is a strain on you. It's a it's a burden on you, and that that is affecting you in a way that you can't handle. And so if that's the case, get that handled mm-hmm. and then come back and put on the show for me, and I'll enjoy it now because now when I watch you play, I'm like, are you okay? Yeah. Are you really okay? You know. <laughs> And 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 I shouldn't have to watch the game with that in the back of my mind. Like, oh man, that was a great dunk, but I, I hope he's okay.
0: I hope he's okay. Yeah, it adds to that <laughs> that that feeling that we've been talking about through this entire through this entire conversation. Uh, th- the big questions as we wrap up. First, I gotta just say this: you've covered so many more practices than I have, but I've been to more than a couple. The idea at the spin at because you mentioned it, like maybe this does all pivot on that Draymond punch. Um, but (laughs) maybe that's the original sin of literally everything we're talking about. I mean, sure, we can talk about the sourness of mainstream politics and social media, but let's talk about Draymond for a second. As someone who's been to my share of practices, the line that incredibly strong power forwards routinely punch out six foot four guards for the purpose of making a point was not only profoundly to me just stupid, it was such a disrespect to... The players, not just the intelligence of the fan, but to the player that these professional athletes, you know, are looking for opportunities to hurt their teammates, especially when they have serious physical advantages over that teammate. I mean, that was the Will Smith slapping Chris Rock moment of the NBA because, you know, Will Smith Smith is not slapping Dwayne Johnson. So, (laughs) yeah. And which is what injects the question of, of bullying into it, which is another just incredibly sour topic. Yeah, and, I, and I, that, that was really what that
1: issue was all about. Because, because like people say, well, teammates fight in practice all the time. It's like, no, 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 no. That wasn't a fight. It's a fight is when you the when you both when you both, when both square up and want or or like you you, you 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 upset over a screen and you and you turn to a dude and you push him and then y'all shove each other and you start throwing blows at each other. No, this was a dude that walked up to him and slugged him. Just Like it knocked him out, and, cl- and he clearly had an advantage. And, and you also can see how that affected that locker room because Draymond's voice it doesn't carry the, the same weight that it once did because um, guys are looking at him like, man, you you you're supposed to be the big homie, like you're supposed to be protecting us. You're not supposed to be knocking us out. You're supposed to be knocking out dudes who are coming for us. And as long as we're on the same team, you're supposed to be on our side. And so he crossed so many lines with that. And I don't know if he really, you know, expressed the amount of remorse that was needed for that. And I don't know, and I and I felt bad for Jordan Poole that he's in that position because everywhere he goes, he's gonna hear it from the fans that he got knocked out by his teammate. And that's gonna affect him throughout the course of this year when he's got the weight of a big contract on him. So he's gotta live up to his contract. He's got to live up to the fact that his teammate punched him, which was is because he got the contract, right? Mm-hmm. Like the 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 the, the issue was probably related in a little bit of jealousy that they're going to take care of him over Draymond. And so there's a little bit of, um, you know, jealousy and resentment there that was behind that punch. It wasn't like it was that that punch didn't feel like it was basketball related. That's all I'll say.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, you're hitting on something really important, which is frankly one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you because you, you get, you get my mind germinating a little bit, <laughs> you know, a common thread, of the Draymond situation, there is a common thread between. I'll go the Draymond situation, the Jaws situation, the Kyrie situation. Eventually, and then the situation of Luca drawing that big dollar sign in front of the ref is that mm. you know I'll accept that these things happen, but it seems like the corporate or team response to each of these four things, or the league response, has frankly just made things. Worse. Worse. In some of those cases, like with Ja and I really do believe this with Luca, the, the response and Draymond, the response is just way too soft. And so the message to fans is, well, back to work. And the stuff with Kyrie, where it's like Kyrie can do whatever he wants, and you know, we've talked about this until he crosses this particular line, and now you have to give half a million dollars to the ADL and go through <laughs> our, our, our our therapy program and then we're gonna just trade you anyway and and then, you know, you're going to play games on... So, I mean, it's just like the handling of, of the... Let's call it this generation of players just seems really inept to me on a league level.
1: Yeah, and I think because a lot of these issues are things that are kind of just subject to this this era. Yeah. You know, right? and And I don't think people have the bandwidth to know how to handle a lot of these situations because... You know, the Draymond situation would have been different if the video had never been leaked. Right. But, like, what was TMZ, you know, back in the day? Can you imagine if Latrell Sprewell's choking incident was leaked to a TMZ? I mean, we would have had a—I mean, we
0: we had a—he got suspended for the whole year, right? Yeah, and we didn't normalize normalize it either, even though at the time— you know, young Dave's sympathies were for Latrell. Make no mistake, Obviously, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's also yeah. awesome. it's like if they'd also said Luttrell will now have to serve a one game suspension, at which point he will be <laughs> living inside PJ Carlissimo's house, and we're gonna have cameras in there and show it on NBA TV. <laughs> that's what I feel like the 2023 version of that would be. Yeah, yeah, Let's that's make probably, content.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, and and but I honestly think that they're like. And then when you got, you know, I um Tyree posting the video on his social media, like this is a these are 2022 issues, right? These are things that happen now that I don't think that there's a, there's no playbook for how to how to resolve these situations. Job ja posting a, him dancing on IG live with a gun. Like, I mean, <laughs> we know that he's not the only player in NBA history to own a gun, but he's the first one to to throw one up, you know, in an IG IG live video. So you know, a lot of these issues that are coming up are things that would not have occurred 10, 15, 20 years ago. They're happening now. And um, I, don't, I don't I don't think that the league or a lot of these teams really know how to handle them. And that, that's really what's happened here. It's, it's sort of been an embarrassment of just not being aware and not being uh, um, kind of understanding what it takes to resolve these these modern issues.
0: Mm well, Amen. I gotta take my son to baseball practice. Understood. Uh, let, let me tell you something, Michael. I I could talk to you about this another forty minutes <laughs> without blinking. And I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry we can't get to your late. You you want to just in in five seconds tell us what you're listening to musically?
1: What am I listening to musically? Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I've been loving the 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 Scissor album. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and uh and I love I love her anyway. I love I love her music. Um, but you know, sometimes when you listen to an album and you know, there's always like a moment in a good album when it's like just ride, you just play it and it rides, and then like you get to that one song where you're like, Oh wow, this is a great album. Mm-hmm. I, I hit that I hit that with SOS, and so uh so I'm I'm loving Scissors, Scissors' new album. That that's what I'm liking now. Yeah, I, I usually give you hip hop or jazz, but I'm gonna give you a little R and B.
0: All right. Well, we're taking notes in this house right now. I'm in the <laughs> room with my family right now. So, Scissors, it is. Downloading as we speak. This guy knows music, Michelle. I'm telling my wife. Scissors are great. That, oh, it's a great album. That's oh, my son's into Scissors. So, hey, Jake. Yeah. This is Michael Lee. He's the best of the best. Hi, that's me.
1: What's up, Jake? Hello.
0: Uh, All right. So. Thank you so much, Michael, man. I really appreciate, it. obviously, right. I edit this to make us both sound as brilliant as possible. All
1: right, Dave, have a good one, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm looking forward Thank to hearing you. it. Cause I think it's a conversation people need to have because
0: we, we, we really need to elevate each other and, and be in much more positive spirits. Because think- Absolutely. I mean, and my fear is this will become the new normal, and it doesn't have to. Yeah. Like the we, NBA we- can be a force of actually resistance against this sourness and bring some joy into the world.
1: And that's what it's supposed to be. That's, that's supposed to be the outlet to, to bring joy, not, not to bring more, um, you know, dour yeah. moods. So. Bitterness. All right.
0: <laughs> All right, Michael. Best of the family, okay? You too. Take care. Peace. We'll be back after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. This is what you got to read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now I've got some choice words about the passing of one of basketball's all-time greats. Okay, look, Hall of Fame New York center Willis Reed died earlier this week at the age of 80 of congestive heart failure, and with him, we lost a piece of the city where he became a legend. Reed was born in Lincoln Parish, Louisiana, and later attended college at famed HBCU Grambling State, but his life and legacy will always exist foremost in the marrow of New York City, a legacy that few can match. Other than Babe Ruth or Joe Namath, there is no athlete in the history of this sports besotted town that marked his moment in the skyline's shadow quite like Willis Reed. He was a tremendous player named one of the 50 greatest to ever suit up in the NBA, but his inextricable link to the city goes beyond low post moves and rebounding statistics. There are three primary reasons why Willis Reed will always be as New York an institution as the Apollo Theater. The most prosaic one is that New York is a basketball mad town, it's the city game, and the Knicks haven't won a championship since Reed, alongside Hall of Fame players like Walt Frazier, Dave DeBuscher, and Bill Bradley, led them to two titles in 1970 and 1973 as captain of one of the most storied squads in league history. But since then, bubkis. The Knicks may play in the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden, and have a valuation larger than the GDP of many countries, But in the five ensuing decades, they have also been a morass of near misses and mismanagement. After each parched season, the glory of Reed and the teams coached by the great Red Holtzman only grows. Yet it takes more than championships to build the kind of reverence that Reed held in the five boroughs. His iconography stems in part from the time frame of his career, 1964 to 1974, a tremendous and tumultuous era for the city. The New York of 1974 would have been unrecognizable to the city of 1964. Racial resistance and labor uprisings, cultural awakenings and white flight, financial crises and corrupt politicians, they all turned the city on its head. And yet there was Reed, a cultural rock of Gibraltar during a time of profound upheaval. He was immovable on the court and a source of pride, even comfort. Then there was what has come to be known in our culture as the Willis-Reed moment, when in Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals, Reed unexpectedly and dramatically appeared on the court against the Los Angeles Lakers with a severely torn muscle in his thigh. His injury had caused him to miss the Knicks' blowout loss in Game 6, and hopes were dim. The team had already begun warming up in front of the packed yet pessimistic MSG crowd, Even his teammates didn't expect their captain to take the court, where they last saw him immobile and ailing in the locker room. But as warm-ups continued, Reed slowly but defiantly walked out onto the court as the crowd burst into a cheer that MSG has not heard since. He faced off against the bigger, taller, and more athletic Wilt Chamberlain, and as Curtis Blow wrote years later, played defense with desire. Just making it onto the court would have created enough energy in the crowd to power the city's shaky electrical grid. But Reed did more than that. He hit his first two shots, the only shots he would make that game, and became a legend. As the champagne poured in the locker room, Howard Cosell, unable to contain himself on national television, said, You exemplify the very best that the human spirit can offer. Reed was the New York City of the 1970s, beaten and battered but always unbowed. Less remembered outside of New York City, however, is the second title the Knicks won in 1973, also against Chamberlain and the Lakers. For that series, Reed limped through nine years' worth of accumulated ailments from playing through the pain. Yet somehow, for a second time, he was the finals MVP, as the Knicks dominated the Lakers four games to one. By the next season, Willis Reed was done. His 10-year career was unquestionably cut short by injuries he endured due to his relentless will to play through pain. Now while the athletic world and the city valorized his ability to compete in a state of agony, Reed resisted that in person. Through his ensuing career as coach and mentor, he was beloved in part by standing solidly with the players and their right to play without destroying their bodies in the process. Willis Reed will never be forgotten. The New York of his glory years seems more distant when he was still walking among us. This is a city that has always prided itself on being indomitable, and Willis Reed embodied that like no one before or since. In a time of profound change, he forever altered how the city saw itself. To walk in his path means to never surrender the heart and grit that give the city its unique life, especially in the face of its transformation into an offshore luxury shopping mall. As long as there is a callus left in this town, Willis Reed's memory will be a living one. But to say we aren't weaker for his absence would be a lie. And Willis Reed was the truth. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey everybody out there, this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down, the Just Stand Up Award this week. Stand up. Oh, man. So much of what I'm saying right now is going to be so dated by the time you hear this because I'm pretty sure they're going to lose to South Carolina, but the UMD team, uh, the women's basketball team, has been so much fun to watch. Diamond Miller, shout out. And they're going to probably <laughs> lose to the undefeated South Carolina, Dawn Staley and Aaliyah Boston, uh, by the time you hear this. But maybe they won't. And if they won't, remember how excited I am right now about the prospect of them winning. Maybe. Okay, that's all you need to hear. I just hope UMD keeps up its miracle run. Uh, the just sit your ass down. Sit your ass down argument sit your ass down i'm sorry but i keep going back to that interview with michael lee i just think there have been a lot of problems in the nba this year but they're gonna be problems i think the way adam silver who's been so sure-footed throughout his tenure largely i mean this year has been an absolute train wreck uh in terms of how the league has handled these various flame ups and i hope that there is more discussion about everything they got wrong this year Hell, maybe I'll write something and send it to them. Although I'm sure, you know, at most that will end up (laughs) in a spam folder. But you know what? I think it needs to be said that it's not just that this league has been joyless this year. It's that the league itself has handled it terribly. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much. Uh, to Michael Lee for joining us. Thank you so much to the producer of this podcast, David Tigabu, and thank you so much to everybody out there who supports Edge of Sports. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.